Would you please remain standing for the reading of God's Word? The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat into a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns around. As he hit the shore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away, so they may go into the surrounding country and villages and bring something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people, sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking five loaves and two fishes. He looked up into heaven. He blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Those who had eaten the loaves were numbered five thousand men. God bless the reading of his word. Be seated, please. Good morning, Highland. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, if this is your first uh, time here at Highland, I am really glad uh, that you're here, and I hope that you find a place in Highland to make your home. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. You're going to need your uh, Bible or your phone out, because we're going to talk about the whole chapter, not just uh, what Brad read. But if, if uh, we have a little kind of update, on February 23rd, that's uh, Sing Song uh, Weekend, uh, we're going to have a, a change of schedule. Uh, first service is going to be at 9, uh, which for them is great because that's like a half hour of extra sleep unless you have toddlers. Uh, for you guys, second service is still at 11, doesn't change much, but there will be no class and there is a reception at 10. So if you want to come and meet old friends, uh, come early and get something to eat. There'll be a light brunch uh, there for you. We're beginning uh, a new sermon series called Bearings, and we're basically picking up where we were in Mark and we're going to be there until uh, Easter, uh, traveling through Mark together. And the reason we chose the name Bearings is kind of, it has a multiple meaning. There is this definite theme in the book of Mark about carrying your cross. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get to that conversation that Jesus has with Peter, where Peter says the proclamation, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But he doesn't quite understand what that means. And as we're going to see as we get closer and closer to Golgotha, that means that the disciples will carry their cross as well. There's also this sense of bearings and that we, we have to get our bearings, that, that Jesus is the true north of our spiritual compass. And one of our elders said it, and it's, it's kind of been stuck in my mind. If we get Jesus right, we're going to get relationships right. If we get Jesus right, we're going to get what we do together as church right. If we can kind of keep our compass centered on the true north of Jesus, a lot of the problems that we have are going to work themselves out. 
And so I invite you uh, over the next month and a half or so uh, to, to come and join us and be a part of this series and be part of what's happening uh, here at Highland because we believe that God may have brought you here for a reason. And that very reason may not be what you expect, but we know it's gonna change your life because it changed our lives. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be gathered together uh, in the midst of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that your Spirit would fill this place, invade our hearts and our minds, capture our imagination and our will. Father, we submit ourselves to you, to do your will, to follow your Son, Jesus, no matter where it leads us. And to that end, Father, I pray that you give us courage and you give us strength. And in this moment, I pray you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I may speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says. You know that bone, weary, tired feeling? Have you ever felt that? Maybe you had a, a hard shift at work and you are exhausted when you get home? Maybe it's when you started that little landscaping project in your backyard that should have only taken like three or four hours and 12 hours later, there's a geyser uh, going off and you still aren't done yet. Have you ever felt that bone weary, tired where all you can do is fall in your bed? You don't even wanna take your shoes off and you know you're about 30 seconds from sleep and then all of a sudden you remember somebody's gotta feed the dog. Or your spouse says, we need to still make the sandwiches for the kids tomorrow. Or you realize, I've still got that 10-page essay to write. And somewhere deep within, there's just that ounce of energy and effort left. And you get back up and you go again. Or maybe you spent the entire day and you were working hard and, and the shift was full of processing papers or doing work and it was just bam, 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 bam. And at the, the end of the day, your effort barely made a dent in the amount of work that you have to do. Have you ever been there? There was a time when I was in college, I'd come home on Christmas break and I'd, I'd be a, a, a shift worker uh, doing the graveyard shift at the post office at the airport in Denver. And so every night about 9.30, I would drive out to the Denver International Airport and I would work in this massive warehouse. And on one end of the warehouse on the north side was all the mail that was coming in that needed to be loaded onto the airplanes. And on the south side of the warehouse was these giant docks where they'd take these room-sized containers and load them up into the jets. And every night, my job was to take these oversized grocery carts. They were full of about 10 bags of about 40 pounds each of uh, packages. And I would carry them to the right room-sized container and just throw them in until the container was completely full, top to bottom. Then they'd seal it up and they'd drag it out to the south end and it would disappear. Every night when I walked into the shift and when I left the shift, there was just as many packages on the north side of that building. And I thought, this is nuts. It doesn't matter how hard or how much I work, there is just as much left over. Look at your Bible in, chapter, in Mark chapter 6 and look at the stories before this one. 
At the beginning of Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his disciples to begin his work. And they go out two by two and they're preaching the good news and they're casting out demons and they're anointing the sick, which is exactly what Jesus is doing for the last six chapters before this. And they're, they're, doing what, they're doing what a disciple ought to do. They're following their rabbi and they're imitating their rabbi. And they go out and they begin to do it on their own. And the text says, the word begins to spread. And even King Herod hears about Jesus. And there's a lot of rumors about Jesus. Some say he's Elijah. Some say he's a prophet like the prophets of old. Still others say he's John the Baptist. As I just mentioned, in, in, uh, in two chapters, Jesus is going to ask his disciples, who do they say that I am? And they answer exactly the same as Mark chapter 6. But he's going to stop and he's going to look them dead in the eye and he said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's going to answer. He's going to get it wrong, but he's close. He says, you are the son of God, the Christ. But he doesn't know exactly what that means. But Herod, Herod gets that answer terribly wrong. Who do you say that I am? It's one of those questions that reveal more about the person answering the question than anything else. Herod thinks that Jesus, he is certain that Jesus is John the Baptist returned from the dead. And the reason that Herod is certain of that is because Herod killed John. Like Lady Macbeth with blood on her hands. Like the thumping beat of Poe's telltale heart. There is something about sincerely examining who Jesus is that reveals our own hearts. Mark says that Jesus wants to give the team a break, and so they go to this deserted place to be alone for a while. And maybe they're doing this to, to do some team-building exercises and trust falls. Maybe not. Uh, but the crowd notices them, and they want to go too. They want to be near Jesus too. Can you blame them? And so they walk along the shore, and they beat them to this deserted place. And most of us has experienced this, I think. This isn't just poor boundaries. Sometimes there are legitimate things that get in the way of your good plans. You're finally about to set off for that family vacation when a crisis hits, and you need to change your plans. You're about to press play on the DVR to watch the game and settle in for about two hours of peace when your boss calls. You're just about to sit down with your hot tea and your Bible study when the baby cries from the other room. You've been there. And, and Jesus could have said no. He could have sent them away. But Mark says he saw them and had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Now those words have some history. Those words have some depth. When Moses yearns for God to appoint a new leader for the wandering Israelites who will go out before them and will lead them so that they won't become sheep without a shepherd. It's heard under the terrible reign of Ahab and Jezebel 
who chased after idols rather than caring for the people, leaving them scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. It's heard in Ezekiel, the prophet's promise to the people that are enduring exploitation of leaders preying on the people for their own gain, that one day the Lord will set up over them one shepherd who shall feed them and lead them. Sheep that are wandering in the wilderness, sheep with distracted shepherds that will not care for the flock, sheep with dangerous shepherds who will use them for their own gain. Is it any surprise that when Israel finally realizes Ezekiel's promise that a shepherd will lead them in love and truth, that they are willing to follow him even to a lonely place? Even when he gets on a boat and they have to go by foot, they follow him because he's good. And I think on some level, if you and I were able to sit down with a cup of coffee and dig deep into why you're here, we might find the same truth. Because there's a thousand different ways that we have been wandering, that we were lost, that we were exploited. But somehow we found church and we gave it a chance and found home. Others of us bear the scars of faithless shepherds. You may have been told that your God didn't answer your prayer because you didn't have enough faith or you must be weak because God wouldn't give you more than you can bear or your effort uh, was sacrificed to someone else's ego or self-interest or that you had to turn your back on your brother or your sister from some sort of dogmatic doctrinal minutia, whatever. <laughs> and you still bear those wounds. The fastest growing religious group in America are the nuns. It's the one on the demographic survey when they check which religion are you affiliated with, they click the box that says none. And, and David Kinneman, who works with the Barna Group, uh, he talks about the trajectories of students leaving church that choose not to stay. And he, he captures two very useful ideas. He calls some of them nomads and he calls some of them exiles. Nomads are one that cannot find what they're looking for in a church community. And so they choose to go outside of it as a nomad wandering to find it on their own. And they still are connected to God. They would call themselves spiritual but not religious. They just can't find a church community that represents Jesus the way they want to. You could say they love Jesus, just not the church. Exiles are a very different set of people. Those that feel like they've been pushed out. Those that feel that they're not welcome. And, and they have a deep longing inside of them. Both groups have a deep longing. And if you sit down with a cup of coffee with one of those people long enough, what you're going to hear is a desire to find healthy Christian community. The disciples take Jesus aside and they say, look, you got to send these people home to get some food. It's getting late. And the way he replies sounds a little terse, at least to me. He says, you feed them. And they respond back, well, well, Jesus, that's a lot of money. That'd be like 200 denarii. And a denarii is, is, is one uh, day's wages. And so think about it like 60% of your yearly income. That's a lot of money. 
And so Jesus says, go and see how many loaves you have. Now, in the book of John, there's, there's a little boy that comes forward with, with his lunch. But in Mark, the boy's not there. It's up to the disciples to come up with this. And then Jesus has the crowd set down in the green grass. Pete Perry notes uh, two things about this text. The first thing he notes is the green grass. They're in the middle of a barren wilderness. Where does this green grass come from exactly? Well, it might come from Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green grass, to still water. There's one good thing to note, that that, that Psalm 23, that's a prayer about the goodness and the abundance of God. And in the Gospels, at least, when you find a Gospel writer quoting the Psalm, particularly one of the first lines in the Psalm, it's not just that line, it's the whole thing. So, for instance, in Jesus, when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He's quoting the entire prayer. When Jesus on the cross, he is praying to God in a song. And so what we notice from this story, this little brief reference, is about God as shepherd, the good shepherd, who takes care of his sheep. The second thing that Pete notices is They ate and they were all filled. And this is an echo out of the book of Deuteronomy, promises of the promised land where people that seem seldom satisfied are completely filled when God's reigns comes. And so Jesus taking the bread, he looks up to heaven, he blessed it and broke the loaves and gave it to them. And there's a direct line between this story and the Passover that is gonna happen at the end of Jesus's life when he says, took a loaf of bread. After blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And there's a direct line between that story and what we participated in this Sunday. And there's a mystery in the truth that when Jesus blesses something that we put at his disposal, big things can happen. Not only is there enough for everyone, there is an abundance left over. So is this story in Mark, is this sermon about getting rich quick or a free meal ticket? Or is this a sermon about church budgets? You didn't know you were in for a church budget sermon this morning, but here we go. I want to tell you the story about Reb and Jackie and their restaurant called Our Place. They were just about to open in in the Carolinas when Hurricane Hugo came through. And they were, they were almost open. All they needed was the last inspection so that they could get the sticker, so they could start their business. And the hurricane comes in. The first thing that they do is they run to their store to make sure that uh, everything was okay. And the store was fine. It even had power. In fact, one of the firefighters came in and said, look, your store, uh, the fire station next to you, and the community building next to it is the only things that have power in this entire town. And so they called the health inspector and they said, look, can we get our health inspection right now so that we can open because we're the only place that has power? And the health inspector said, understandably, look, we got bigger fish to fry right now. Um, There's no way we can do that. You can't sell anything out of your store. And maybe, just maybe, Reb and Jackie took a legalistic approach to exactly what he said. They couldn't sell the food, 
but they could give it away. And so they put up a sign that said, free BLTs and coffee, because that's the only supplies they had in their store before they were going to open. And they said to the deputy, look, hey, tell all of your coworkers and the emergency people that you see that we have free BLTs and coffee for anybody that wants to drop by. And soon firefighters, police officers, utility line crews, and other workers were filling into our place. And then people who didn't have any power at their homes heard about it, and they came in to get a lunch as well. And then people who were living on the streets and people that were visiting and had been stranded by the hurricane, they were coming in to get uh, free sandwiches. And, and Rev and Jackie heard about another restaurant uh, that was in another town, and they were charging people $10 for two eggs, toast, and bacon. Those are like San Francisco prices, y'all. That's crazy. And so they just put a sign in their window. They said, free BLTs free coffee, and everyone was welcome. And then something began to happen. People started to clean the counters for them and sweep the floors. More and more people came in, and Rev and Jackie would have been overwhelmed. And so someone came in and took over dishwashing, and somebody else stepped up to the grill and helped Rev do the cooking. And hearing about what was going on from a local radio station, people in the neighboring towns that hadn't been affected by the storm began sending food in from their freezers. And other people whose power was out and knew that their, their stuff was about to go bad, they brought it over to the restaurant. Stores and dairies sent over chicken and milk and foodstuffs of all kind. And so the long day went on and on. Those first cups of coffee and BLTs stretched into 16,000 meals, they estimate. And the restaurant's small stock somehow increased by 500 loaves of bread, cases of mayonnaise, 350 pots of coffee, and bushels of produce. The crowd, like Peter, like Herod, and probably like us, miss who Jesus is. Now, I want to give you something here in a second that first didn't get. So you guys are special. Someone came up to me after the sermon and said, well, I, have, I take issue with the story that you told. Because that wasn't God performing a miracle. That was people. But God didn't do that. Are you saying that God didn't perform a miracle of feeding 5,000 people? No, of course not. Absolutely not. The most powerful miracle that God can perform is the transformation of the human heart. And the good news is he does it all the time. Maybe even my heart. Most sheep in the wild end up as injured or prey to a predator, but some of those sheep that survive, they become feral. In fact, there's a fascinating story about an island near Britain where they released a bunch of sheep up there to feed sailors that crashed. And they, they've become these feral sheep that have lived there for generations. And these sheep, they can't be flocked by a sheepdog. They just scatter everywhere. And some of them become downright mean. Those feral sheep will gut and kill Jesus. Yet Jesus still had the confidence that sometimes those bumbling, often misguided disciples had the courage and faith to feed them. 
the God who sent them out two by two to preach good news, to anoint the sick and give comfort to those hurting, is the God who takes faithful, sometimes meager offerings of believers and performs a miracle, a miracle called abundance. Jesus doesn't ask you to feed the multitude. He asks what you have to offer. And that's the moment that the miracle begins. Another way to say this is what God has equipped you with right now is enough in the kingdom of heaven. You have enough. We stand with the disciples and look at Jesus dumbfounded. There's no way that we can provide for this crowd. There's no way that we can minister to this city. There's no way that we can spread the word of the gospel to this world. There is no way that those disciples can feed them or care for them to bind their wounds and teach them right paths. But what we do have, blessed by Christ, is more than enough to turn the nomad and the exile into brother and sister to turn the lost sheep into a flock and by the grace of God to turn this church into a home. And I really want to see it happen. Can you please stand for our benediction? May the God who gives more than we could possibly ask or imagine fill you this week. Fill you with courage and fill you with strength and ask the question, what do you have to offer? And may you have the grace to share. And let's just see together what God does with that. Because it might, it might just be a miracle. Go in peace.